0: I do have to acknowledge Jesse with his sweatshirt that says "Free Barabbas" on it. <laughs> that might be the most biblical sweatshirt I've seen in a long time in this church. It's great. Yeah, it is a fantastic shirt. It uh, does definitely speaks to the depravity of man. As we are in the, before we get to the scripture, as our as our leadership team, we are. We've been talking about uh, total depravity and unconditional election, so it fits right in with that to speak about that. So, the scripture today that John Weathersby will be preaching on is Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Malachi 2, verses 1 through 4. I'll give you a moment there if you'd like to turn to that in your Bibles. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. This is God's word. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, John, for reading that. So, interestingly... Um, this morning, I think maybe the part that really jumps off the page when you first read this is rubbing dung in faces and in studying it, it's really not what continued to stand out. Um, really this is this, this passage at the root here is telling us that knowledge is what inspires worship. Because worship finds its root in truth, not in emotion. Um, and I'm so thankful for that, because my emotions are fickle. Um, if you let my dri- my blood sugar drop beyond a certain point, I am a miserable beast to be around. Um, and so if my worship of God was driven by my emotions, then I would be all over the place. Sometimes I would be worshipful. Sometimes I would be a grumpy curmudgeon. But real, true, biblical worship of God is inspired by truth. Um, Last week, Pastor John Nicholas walked us through a lot about worship, asking us the question of of worthy worship. Um, And so we see a lot in the book of Malachi. Last week, verses 12 through 14, this week, turning to chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, which really is kind of a, a couplet with the section that is going to follow, what we're going to see is God challenging the very priests who are charged with leading all of Israel to alignment with Him. I mean, really, this is the priest's job. They have lots of duties, but their job is to help the people find alignment with God whether that is by understanding him and his character, whether that is approaching him in the ways that he prescribed for himself to be approached. And the purpose was so that all of the watching world, as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, would see Israel as a nation of priests, would see these people differentiated, would see them stick out and stand out differently from all of the world around them. And boy, did they. They've drawn a lot of attention over the years, Israel has. And so we see... God through Malachi the prophet directing these series of questions, these series of disputes, um, sometimes in the form of a query, sometimes in the form of statements directly to the priests and the people of Israel. But today, it is a charge to the priests. When When I think of study of the word and how approaching God and truth impacts people I always think of the book of Nehemiah um, you, you've if you've been in church for a while you know when you when you start to study Nehemiah that's because the church needs to raise money for a building project but it's actually an interesting book with a great story and a lot of really good truth about God other than separating you from dollars to build an narthex Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. And we'll we'll we're going to move a little bit through Nehemiah. I'll do it a little bit in chunks. I'll skip some of the words because I just don't like to read off lists of names, even though they're fun. Um, but Nehemiah in chapter eight, the the building has kind of been built. We get this picture in the book of Nehemiah where people are working with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other, right? The Uh, sandballot and all of these, uh, you know, effectively enemies of the people are descending around them trying to stop the building project, trying to um, stop the supply chain of materials that they need to build, again, this area. And so in chapter 8, some portion of the building project has been completed, and then we read, all of the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. They want to hear from God. They've been here doing all of this work. They've gotten all of these things together. and Now they want to hear what it is that God has to say. Fast forwarding a little bit to verses 4 through 8, we see that Ezra then stood on a wooden platform that they specifically built for this purpose, for the proclamation of the word. Elevating the word above the people so that the people could hear better, so that the people could hear from the reading you you know you imagine it's not like for us today you know you you grow up, you have to go to kindergarten or your parents go to jail and they have to teach your kids all kinds of important things, um, increasingly those important things are getting stranger and stranger, but education is baked into our whole process for life. These people didn't necessarily know how to read, perhaps, and so the scribe, the scroll reading, the public proclamation of the word was very important. And so they had a wooden platform that they made for that purpose. Uh, someone from the tribe of Dave probably built that wooden platform. That's a joke referring to our own Dave Demi, who built this pulpit. Very well, very sturdy. Doesn't have room for my cowboy boots, though, because I have really long toes on the front. of me. So we're going to get a modification made verse 6 Ezra blessed blessed the Lord the great God and all the people answered amen amen lifting up their hands they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground in this environment in this scene, you've got someone reading and proclaiming from the word to a people who haven't heard it for a very long time. Their reaction to information about God, to revelation about God, their reaction to the law of God being proclaimed in front of them was weeping. They're worshiping, they're weeping, all kinds of things are happening in them as the word that doesn't return void goes forward and they're receiving it. There were people who were moving about the crowd, helping them understand what they were hearing. What an interesting scene. You know, you can almost imagine a a bit or a portion of the the Scripture would be read and then people would walk around and talk and have a conversation about, what did that mean? You know, how do I understand this correctly? And as they're receiving all of this, this reaction occurs. In verse 9, Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, And the Levites, who taught the people, said to all of the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all of the people wept as they heard the words of the law. They were convicted, cut to their core. And this is the role of the priesthood. This is the priesthood that God is now coming to and speaking to Is this type of person who would have this type of role, whose job it is to help the people approach God in a right way. They were going to administer sacraments. They were going to bring people to God acceptably, and they were going to teach from the Scripture. It's very important. Again, imagine if you've got a, a people who are sometimes literate, sometimes not literate, that are supposed to be a priesthood of people who follow after this very prescribed law and very important to follow law, to approach God rightly, how would they do it? How would they know how to do that without a priest? And so the priests helped them with that. Now, in the book of Hebrews, we get some help. Um, Because we are New Testament believers. We are on this side of the cross. Now, that's not to say that we discount the Old Testament. Certainly not. In fact, the Old Testament helps us understand even more about the substance and the character of God. And we even understand more of the Old Testament because we have the New Testament. It shines light on what was previously in the shadows And the book of Hebrews even more specifically because it is written to the Hebrew people to help them understand what's changing. With a new priesthood, Hebrews says, would come a new law. And so what is it that's changing about this shift of law, this shift of priesthood? So if you look in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 15 through 25, we read this. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath. By the one who said to him, "The Lord has sown, and will not change His mind," you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but He holds His priesthood permanently because He continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him, through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, if we hone in, I mean, the whole passage was amazing, right? We could just live there and keep talking about that forever. Verses 18 and verses 22, however, I want to bring those up to the surface. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. Jesus is that better hope that is introduced through which we draw near to God. Better hope than the previous priestly system. In verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, all of that actually helps us understand how to view the priesthood how to view the priesthood in terms of who God would have been talking to, what God would have been talking about as he speaks through Malachi, Uh, but also the kinds of things that the priesthood would have been tasked with. When you meet a priest today, you meet a cosplayer. It doesn't exist anymore. The office is over. Just like... um, when we first moved into this building, one of the things that was in this stairwell back here was the, 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 um, the, the Hall of a, uh, Apostles or Stairwell of Apostles or something like that. And there were pictures of men, living men today, people that are alive today. And so we took that down because there's no such office. It was established. It is done. There are no prophets. There's no apostles. Bless you. And so, when you meet a priest today, you meet a cosplayer. I mean, like, I was in a hotel one time, and I got there late. And so, you you go to the you go to the bar, and they keep the kitchen open till ten, something like that, eleven. Because I'm heavy. And so, when I go into my hotel room, just because I don't have food, I immediately feel hungry. So I always go eat when I get to the hotel really late. And so I'm kind of zoning in, doing my thing. I'm on my phone, you know, and I, I, I look and I see like a weird thing, fabric next to me, right? And I look over and it's someone dressed head to toe like a rabbit. And I'm like, this is going to be cool. And I look around and I'm surrounded by people dressed as animals. They're, it's a furry convention. I'm in the middle of furries. It really creeped me out. Um in the same sense, this is what I, I mean when I think cosplay, right? Costume play. Playing the part of something that isn't really real, but you're making it become real. You know, you see people that have got a cross like this big and the stole on the neck, right? The 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 rope you get fitted for a for a robe and you have cool sashes and marks on it. These are this is costume. This is cosplay. And so how then are we to understand? Do we just take everything that's in the scripture about the priest and say, okay, that's a pastor. No, no, that's, that's not correct. And so what then do we do? Why do we study this passage? And the answer is because it amplifies the person and the work of Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's not about us. Like we, we want to put on cool clothes and wear a neat costume and do all these different things and go through these specific motions and approach God in a certain way. I get it. I, I mean, I like tradition, right? I'm a traditional kind of a person, and, and our church has some traditions, right? We usually start off with two or three songs, um, followed by a you know time of greeting and all these things. So it's not that we're not traditional. It's not that we don't do things in a certain way, but we don't go back to life before Christ and imitate that. Jesus changed everything, and it's better. Why would we go back to worse? So when we come to this passage... We can study passages like this, and what we're looking for is what are these eternal truths that are here? What does this tell me more about God? What does this show me about Christ? What does this reveal about me and the way that I relate to God? These are the kinds of questions that we ask left of Matthew. And so what we see is one major difference between the priests and then pastors that we have of churches today is that pastors are primarily teachers of the word. That is the pastor's job, is to teach the Word, rightly divide the Word, and to stay concentrated on that, to have right doctrine, to protect the church from bad doctrine. That is the primary role of a pastor, to care for the flock, not to offer sacrifices, not to offer sacraments, not to make a way for you to approach God. That's been done on Christ Jesus, finally. That's why Jesus said, it is finished. Well, what was it? The man, Christ Jesus, is the way that we approach God. So this passage causes us to actually marvel at Jesus. All that he satisfied of the priesthood, and you look at all of the, the garb, you know, you start to study all of these things, like the, the, the breastplate that they would have worn, all the stones in there. I mean, just so much incredible detail about coming to God, about who God is, about who we are. Jesus satisfied all of it, completely. I was listening to R.C. Sproul just this morning, and he was talking about um, the way that we become saved. And he's like, I started looking into it, and I'm like, wow. You know, I mean, I knew it relied on God's grace, but I didn't know it was so heavily relied on God's grace. <laughs> I love it. By the grace of God, we're saying there's nothing in us that's even really redeemable. Frankly, we're pretty awful creatures. We're not described very positively by Scripture. And doesn't that help you just understand the world a little more? Like, even our motives, even as believers, when we're found in Christ, there's these vestiges of sin that are in us. We still have, Paul would say, you know, my, my, my mind is interested in doing the right thing, but for whatever reason, this earthy, fleshy vessel does other things. And then I look at it and I say, gosh, why? Why did you do that? Why did you think that way? Why did you behave in that way? Why did you treat someone like that? It's your flesh. But God is so much greater than all of that. And Christ is the one that satisfies that wrath. It's so unfair that we're saved at all. And it makes God marvelous. And so passages like this cause us to look more deeply at that and go, God, you are great. And thank you, Jesus. My goodness. I can't even drive down the street without getting mad at someone, you know? cut me off. Huh. I'm going to drive close to your bumper. Or to Rick and Willie, I'm going to brake check, slow you guys down to about 15, and then I'm going to fly off. and It's going to take you 30 minutes to get back to speed. huh? <laughs> Nothing will show you your fallenness like traffic. So last week, Pastor John Nicholas helped us see better what worship is. Today, in this disputation, we have a kind of a continuum of this theme of worship. Because what we'll see is that once the the priests, what they're called to is seeing God for all that He is. Seeing God for the way that He has revealed Himself. Then our reaction to that truth is worship. Look back at the the, the, the first verse of chapter 2. And now this commandment is for you, O priests, so landing directly on the people whose job it is to make a way for people to be made right with God, to understand who God is, to open the word and share about God. Verse 2, if you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. That's cruel. How are you going to curse a blessing? It's like being a, a you know... Your, uh, your, your your weakness being strength. If you do not listen. So this is the action then that they need to take. What's the, the inverse of what God is saying here? If you do not listen, so listen. If you do not take it to heart, so take it to heart. This is how they return. Listen and believe it. It's always by God's grace through faith. It's always this kind of reversal of what the curse was. You look at what the curse was in the garden. You look at the fall of all of humanity was doubting God's word, not taking God at his word. We do it all the time. And when you come to know God through his word, when you come to just accept his word and say, hey, whatever this brings to me, I know God in his character. I trust whatever he brings to me. And whenever you start just taking that word and saying, I accept any of this. I don't care when people say it It makes me look crazy that the world was created in seven days. I think people are crazy to think that it just kind of showed up like this. Like, and and whatever, what other sense of this life did time and nothingness exist in a multitude of well-ordered, complex life, right? Like, oh, well, it was a million years. Oh, so over a million years, a single organism that had really no origin but just showed up, stick with me, over millions of years, became these really complex organisms with hands and fingernails and hangnails and eyes. And not just an eye, but like an iris and a cone and a, and a rod and the ability to see color, unless you're a guy. and 50-50, you might not be able to see like red-blue. And then not just the eye and the cone and all of its complexity and all of these things, but then there was an optic nerve, and then the optic nerve connected to the brain and then the brain began able to see in some space that is where. Where is it that you see? Where does this exist? I'm supposed to believe that all of that complexity just came from nothing. This is clear design. Clear, clear design. The scripture says that everybody knows that there's a creator. Like my favorite example, you would never allow me to put a painting before you and you say, man, that That's incredible. Like even the teeth, because anybody that draws or paints, know, just make their mouth shut. You start drawing teeth, people look like demons, man. It's crazy. If I, put a, if I put a painting there and you said, wow, that's great, even the teeth, you would never let me just say, I know, it just showed up there. You'd say, oh, well, so then somebody came in when you weren't looking and put it there. You'd say, no, 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 hear me. It literally just showed up there. But I'm crazy to say somebody made this place over a period of six days and then rested on the 7th I'm crazy. Not you who say it all just showed up. I'm crazy for saying it's created. I do not, I'll take crazy over your brand of smart. Knowledge inspires worship. And worship finds its root in truth, not emotion. True worship you can manufacture a reaction you can come in here you can jump around you can sprint the aisles wave some flags do all kinds of stuff it might be worshipful that's i mean honestly if you're doing that and you're worshiping have a blast kind of, part of me wishes i could have fun doing that just it creeps me out true worship of god is rooted in the truth of who god is you everything about you worships When it sees who God is, when you start to understand what God is, that he's holy, and you start to understand holiness, when you start to understand the complexity that God is three in one, that he has accommodated us by giving us this this word, these 66 books, so that we can know him, so that we're not left to grope around in the dark and just find him, but also how much grace that he explains things to us. How graceful is that? I, as a parent, don't even explain things to my kids. Like, if we're going on vacation, my kids find out the day before because I don't want to hear all the questions for months and months about it. Like, just, just the other day, uh, one of my kids, she wanted to have soup for lunch that day, and she wanted to warm it up, but it was like 7 in the morning. And I, you know, I, I'm like trying to have my own thoughts and use my own mind, and she keeps asking me about warming up the soup. I'm like, sweetie, we don't leave for an hour. We don't need to—I should have just warmed up the soup. But anyway— so I'm just a stubborn. But God isn't like that with us. He doesn't tell us, you know, just go off and do something else and come back. Uh, you know, we're going to do it at this time. He gives us all kinds of information. You can study this continually every day for the rest of your life, and it will not bottom out, I promise you. It never bottoms out. It's the living word. That's why one of my favorite passages in all of scripture has Jesus, uh, pre-ascension into heaven, post-cross, moving around on earth and talking to people, encounters a couple of people walking down the road. They don't know who he is. and He's like, hey guys, what's going on? What you talking about? And they say, you don't, you don't know what's hap- happened and what's going on? And Jesus is like, oh, tell me. So they tell Jesus about the events of his own life. And then they're explaining this afterwards. They're reflecting on it. Because Jesus then opens up the word and starts to teach them. And this, I love this. Um, they, upon reflecting Jesus' teaching to them, they say, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened the word? And I, it's the same word that you have. You have what they got that made their hearts burn and so much more. So much more. And even greater light now because you have the, the whole of the New Testament to compare left and right and marvel at God, and it causes worship. That should be the core of our worship. It should be understanding God and His character from the Word makes us worshipers in spirit and in truth. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. These are the two things that God said to the priests. Think about, the, think about this is a high-stakes game. God's going to reach his people through the priests. And he says, do two things. Take my word and listen, and take it to heart. Not take it to heart like put it away somewhere where you get emotional. Take it to heart like it's at the core of who you are. That's what That means by, by, by heart. Take it to heart. Where you make decisions, the locust of self, if you will, as Pastor John Nicholas says, locust of self all the time. It's actually a bumper sticker on his truck. It says locust of self. Where you make all of your decisions, that's where you're to listen to God and place it there. This is what's going to turn the, the priests back. This is what's going to bring Israel back is the word. It wasn't a building program. It wasn't a, a a book study that everybody needs to go through on the shelf at Lifeway from Beth Moore. It wasn't any of those things. It was the very word of God taken to heart and believed on their face. And this kind of thing is the very reversal of the curse, right? If if the if the fall, excuse me, the reversal of the fall. If the fall was, did God really say? And then acting as if. God had some ulterior motive to his word is now undoing that and acting as though you trust God completely and believing the word. Imagine, if you will, the Peanuts cartoons for a moment. Stick with me. This is short. For those of you who are allowed to watch the Christmas special, remember the one that comes on around Christmas time? I was not allowed to watch it because my mother didn't like me. And so that meant me staying up longer which meant having to hear me. So I had to be in bed by 8 o'clock at night, which I would make me go to bed super early too because, wow. When the Peanuts would all talk, right, the characters would all talk to each other, they heard each other just fine. But then there were some times, there were some scenes where they were in school and the teacher would talk, right? It was like, you never know what they're saying. This is why we're done with the peanuts now. This is why we first need to listen. We need to understand what's even being communicated. So I think something about being in post-Christian America makes us feel like we have some innate and right knowledge of God. Even though everyone in their innate right knowledge of God would describe God completely differently, And oftentimes, completely out of line with what he said about himself, everyone wants to just be right. Like, as though you can, like, never have met me before, get two or three people to describe what I am, even though they don't know me, and then they're all supposed to be right, even when they conflict. But we treat God like this. So they need to listen, not like wah, 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 but... Listen to understand. Take it to heart. Put it in the center of who they are. Start making decisions based on who God is. Right? When, I, when, I, when I see someone and they're saying something about God, it's totally wrong. Maybe because I know who he is, I don't react out of anger and get mad at them. I say, wow, this is such a great opportunity to tell, the, tell this person what the truth about who God is and really to divert them and point them at Scripture. I don't want to share my wise ideas with people. My wise ideas are stupid. In light of them knowing who God is forever, I want them to get that from the Word, from the Scriptures. And then we study it together. I'm no overlord. I want to look at this together with you. But they need to listen first. And that's a lasting truth in this passage. Because without that, they can't do the second part, which is take it to heart. You can't take to heart what you don't know. You can't take to heart lessons you've never heard. You can't take to, It's like uh, you ever you ever been watching a TV show and then a commercial comes on and now you realize how much you're wasting your life because you know what happens next. You don't even know what you're watching. <laughs> like you're sitting in front of this idiot machine spending hours watching something and a commercial comes on, and you don't even remember what it was. You don't know if you're watching Matlock or Columbo. Or <laughs> Some of you guys are like what Columbo? Madeline, don't know what these shows are. (laughs) We'll take Barabbas. We need to approach the word for knowledge. For knowledge, not just for noise. It's not just a, a springboard. Like growing up in the churches that I grew up in, um, it would do all kinds of pomp and circumstance. You know, there would be the altar boy, that poor guy, right? would come light the candles. And then there's all these candles lit. And, you know, you're a kid, so you're trying to, you're like, if I really subtly try to blow across the room, I wonder if I could put one of those out, right? So it's all about the pomp and circumstance. And then, the, the you know, the, the priest or the pastor comes up and, and maybe reads just as a springboard to say what they really wanted to say. You can't. You can't put that to heart. It's not anything. It doesn't mean anything. It's funny stories. The only sermon from my childhood that sticks out was a, was a funny story about a, a gas station that the, uh, the pastor went to, and it said, um, get hot dogs and gas here. And he thought that was just hilarious. And that's all I remember about my church experience. It's crazy. We said last week, if you, if, as we came into the building, if we had a rack up here, a big metal, I mean, a big honking rack, right? Right in front of these steps. And in there were broadswords just slid into sheaths. You can imagine the, you know, just the, the metal going in. And I said, unfortunately, today, when we leave, the moment we all step outside that door, we will be attacked by people with swords just like these. But before we go, we're going to have a 15-minute lesson on swordsmanship. And you're going to have the opportunity to practice with one of these swords. That would be the most intense 15 minutes of your life. You would pay attention to how to work a broadsword, and you would practice it so intently because you know, without a shadow of a doubt, when you step out the door, you will be attacked. And yet that's how the Bible describes itself. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Able to divide between the division of bone and marrow, soul and spirit. Where is that? I don't know. But it can divide. Um, in the list of spiritual warfare in the book of Ephesians, it's the only offensive weapon. Meaning it's the only way that you can do any combat that in the direction of the other thing, being, person, enemy. Everything else is deflective which I'm a big fan of deflection, right? I feel like the best way to run away, or win a fight is just to run away. If there's ever a street fight, the first thing you'll see of me is elbows. I'm out. I don't fight. I'm old. How much more the word? Should we want to be sharp with our word? There's real attacks that come at us all of the time. Informational, Um, it's the world around us is echoing things towards us. And if we don't have any way to divide truth, we can easily be swayed into these arguments. Um, it's like the movie, the other guys, right? And they get Will Ferrell to take a desk pop. It was so convincing when they talked about the desk pop. If you haven't seen that movie, maybe don't, I don't know, but that's a funny scene, but it all seems so convincing. We don't realize how much the world around us is charged to convince us about things. I I laugh all the time because, you know, people go to Target to shop. They don't go to Target because there's something they need. They go to Target to find things to want. It's kind of sick, really, right? You're like, I'm going to go to Target, walk around, see if there's anything I can spend my hard-earned money on. I'm going to go find things to want. And what you don't realize is that all week you've been getting plowed and littered with suggestions of maybe things that you could want. Billboards as you drive down the street. Mail. I wish I could turn the mail service off to my house. People keep complaining about the post office being so slow. I'm like, why does it exist? Constantly bombarded. And those are pseudo-innocent things that are coming at us. There's any number of other attacks that come at us nearly constantly. The world is going crazy really fast. Now, it's always been bent against God. It's always been crazy, I get that. But it just feels like the rate of change is fast right now. So important that we be informed by the word of God, that we get our truth from Scripture, that we understand the world around us through the lens of Scripture, and you'll be mocked for that. Toughen up. It's okay. Wouldn't you rather be mocked for the word of God than just kind of jump in line with lemmings and repeat what's being said around you? Like It's the children's books. Hans Hans Christian Andersen wrote The Emperor's New Clothes. Um, Maybe you know the storyline, maybe you don't. Uh, these you know tailors came along and they convinced the emperor that they were making new clothes from him you could only see them if you're a certain kind of person. So everybody kind of pretended like he's standing there naked. Like he's not <laughs> wearing clothes and everybody's just going with it, right? I feel like you see that same storyline playing out around us every day. And so in this order of the Old Testament priesthood, that God gave through Moses, these are how the people would know God. That's different for us today. We don't, we don't know God in those exact ways. We don't approach God in those ways. We, in fact, the, the, the veil after Jesus, the veil was torn from the top down, that would have kept us from the Holy of Holies. That would have sep- kept us kind of separate and safe from God. Now we have the holy priesthood of Jesus Christ himself. said that the New Testament gives interesting light to concepts in the old. If you were to look at at Romans and Hebrews, so Romans chapter 3 and verse 25 says of Jesus that God put him forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. That word propitiation makes you sound smart, of course. Is that five syllables? I don't know, I'd don't. i have to clap to know. So, uh, It's a big one. But it, it comes from a really interesting Greek word that you can track all around. Uh, Halsterion, you can find it also in, in Hebrews, where it says, Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy Halisterion, the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. This propitiation, this Halisterion by the blood of Jesus is received by faith. Now, interestingly, we talked previously about something called the Septuagint. Again, we're going to sound so cool when we leave here today. Okay, We have like propitiation, we have Uh, Septuagint, so you're going to come out of here and be able to confuse all kinds of people, which is not helpful. But the Septuagint was for the Greek-speaking Jews. This translation was maybe, say, from six scholars from each of the 12 tribes, so 72. Um, That's Septuagint is out of Latin for 70. Um, All of that is helpful background information, but a lot of the quotations of the Old Testament are coming from the Greek- Translation of the Old Testament. So, when you read the New Testament, it's quoting from the Old. Chances are fairly good that it's coming from a Septuagint translation. So, you have these, these scholars from each of the tribes that all put together a work in Greek. Now, why that's helpful when you're comparing the Old Testament to the New is now you can see how they used a word like propitiation or how the where they would have seen that in the Old Testament. So, you can do some really interesting comparisons. So if Jesus, then, is our propitiation, our Halisterian, when we look to Exodus 25 and 17, we see that we're to make the mercy seat of pure gold, the Halisterian seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit of half its breadth. Or in Exodus 25-21, you put the mercy seat, the Halisterian seat, on the top of the ark, and in the ark you should put the testimony that I give you. Or Exodus 30, verse 6. And you shall put it in the front of the veil that is above the Ark of Testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet you. So the mercy seat was the Halisterion. This is the reconciling work of God through blood for his special creation, man. So God doesn't wink away our sin. Our sin isn't forgiven just because God says, but now you're in the club. Not only are you a member, you're also the president. It's done by the propitious work that was Jesus. Jesus is the finality of what God was always doing. But that priesthood had to continue because of death. Right, So the priests would die, more priests had to be born, so you had to have a lot of priests, and they could only be in one place at one time. But then, in that order, after the order of Melchizedek, which came from no lineage was described, no reason for why he was who he was, existed in the bloodlines of men, Jesus comes along in a similar way. And he exists to become the blood sacrifice, the perfect lamb that brings about our salvation. All because of the plan of God, all by the work of Jesus. We exist in our natural state in opposition to God's character. Complete opposition. And maybe you've felt that. Have you ever come to church as an unbeliever? Maybe that's where you are today. If you ever come to church as an unbeliever? The most, I think, uncomfortable thing is the music and the singing. I mean, mean, I've certainly been to church as an unbeliever. It used to make me so mad. These people are rotely moaning these idiotic words that mean nothing. We just have this guttural reaction to God before he has reached us through his son, Jesus. Something amazing changes in us when we become believers. A heart of stone is replaced by one of flesh. We become interested in things that we thought were ridiculous and laughable, and now they're so important to us. And so that's where I think we have to be really careful, too, when we encounter people who are unbelievers and they believe things that are counter to the things you believe. Our reaction should be grace and care, not anger and grittiness. Psalm 103 verse 14 says, "...for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust." When we look all over scripture, God describes us so well. I think the book of Hosea is probably my hands down favorite, where there is no doubt. First of all, this is not allegory. This is not an allegorical book. We we went through the book of Hosea together. Um, But God is telling a story through Gomer and Hosea. And you have a part in that story. We, God's creation, God's people have a part in that story. And the part that we are in that story is where God tells someone to marry a prostitute and she will be unfaithful to you and you will pursue her and I will tell you to go get her and buy her back from another person's house. It is raw and it is guttural and that is us. There is nothing in us that deserves salvation, but God pursues us hotly. He comes and finds us in situations where you would think, oh God, you should just, I don't even like, don't even look at me. But that's why Jesus is that very mercy seat. The the, the blood sacrifice for us. Because God, if He's going to be fair, can't just wink away sin. In our conversation this morning, you can imagine, if you will, a whiteboard behind me. And it has six stick figures on it. And you draw a circle around three, and you draw a circle around another three. And you ask of the, 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 the first circle is elect. These are believers. The second circle are non-believers. So then where was injustice done? One got justice, the other got grace. No one was treated unjustly. That was how R.C. Sproul described election, and we struggle with that. But again, I go back that worship is inspired by truth, and truth comes from scripture, not my feelings. My feelings change. Scripture is immutable. Verse 3. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand says the Lord of hosts. Levi is a tribe after Jacob's son. Levi is the priestly line. He's still talking to the priests here. And remember, God is calling them effectively to repentance, to change. Repentance is what we do as believers now. This is what makes us believers. Repentance is like... You imagine a 180, Okay, not a 360. You do a 360, you're going in the same direction. It's a 180. You do a 180 from trusting yourself for knowledge, trusting yourself for truth, trusting yourself to know what is moral, to trusting God completely. Your back is to what you believed before. Your front and your face is to the word of God. Jesus becomes Lord and Savior, both at the same time, and then you follow hotly after him as a repentant person. The Old Testament believers still had repentance as well. They just turned to face something else. They turned to face an imperfect system of priests who were mortal and died and flawed and sinned and fell and constantly had to offer the blood of bulls and goats for the forgiveness of a nation of people. And so now we don't have to do that anymore because that holisterion, that mercy, that grace has been finally satisfied on Christ. And so that magnifies him. That should cause us to worship even more. Because knowledge inspires worship, and worship worship finds its root in truth, not emotion. And so through this warning to the priests, God calls the people back in truth. And that's the same way that we're called today as well. We're called to be believers in spirit and in truth. We're called to see Jesus for who he is. We're called to see who God is and what his character is. We're called to see ourselves as fallen short of God's glory. Scripture says that none seeks after God. No, not even one. I mean, that's a math problem. The number of people that seek after God is zero. And so if you find yourself accepting and interested in the things that God is saying in his word, saying, my gosh, it makes so much sense that I am fallen short of God's glory. That makes so much sense out of everything about me. That is God pursuing you if you see the gospel as true. Because to those who are dying, it's folly. It's foolishness. It's stupid. It's hearing the words of a song sung, thinking this is idiotic, to the next moment when you believe in faith in this message, you'll come in looking forward to singing those idiotic words. You'll find yourself suddenly interested in reading the Bible. You'll find yourself wanting to know how would God reflect on or how would God's character make this decision differently? That's the Spirit of God working into you. That's you listening with your ear and putting it into the core of who you are and now making decisions differently because of it. And it's the most incredible change. So I pray that you experience that. So, for us as a church, as a people studying this, let's see God in His Word, not through the lens of our imagination, not through cosplay. Because it's easy to say people that are priests or apostles are a part of cosplay, but we can be a cosplay Christian as well. We could play the part of a Christian, right? You just have to say a few words. You know, there's not a lot you have to do to fit into a Christian crowd. You just have to know the language. It's not hard to learn. But seeing the two-step move that God requires of the priest is to listen and plant the Word in the center of who you are. That should be our aim, is to know God from the Word. So let's listen and let's take to heart His Word. And let's be driven in truth to worthy worship imagine a rack full of swords train with it it's your only offensive weapon let's pray God we do thank you for your word that you that you've given to us it's so graceful that we get it um, God for for those of us who are maybe in a, in a dry spell where we're not feeling waking up and reading the word I pray that you you change that I, I pray that you Teach us through the discipline to read anyway, but also just restore our joy in your word. Um, God, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you this morning, who maybe has information about you, but hasn't repented, hasn't turned from trusting themselves, hasn't turned to trusting Jesus, I pray that you would do that in them right now. God, that, that they know that there are no magic words that I say and they repeat, but simply a confession from them to you that, God, I am... I'm in, I was born in sin. I'm just dust. And I don't, I don't want to live in sin. I want to be restored, remade, renewed. I want to be connected. I want to live with you forever. I pray that, that you would reach them and that you would reach them through your word. God, those of us who have been believers for a while, I pray that you would afresh make us interested in sharing about how great you are. Make us interested in talking with others. And and give us a, a, a bit of grace as we deal with people who are lost, dying, and see the cross as foolishness. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: If you would stand and join with us in singing as we close up the service.